Oh, yeah. What's up, Asymmetry? We have to wrap up the conversation of Joe Harris. In part two, with the discussion of Joe, we get to understand a little bit more about Joe's progression and journey from his apprenticeship and then his post-apprenticeship career, being one of the formative figures of high-level maple cultivation in the nursery industry, the application of bonsai knowledge to a greater endeavor of large tree formation design, and one of the major personalities and figures behind the rise of Isley's Nursery, one of the most famous specialty nurseries in the Willamette Valley surrounding the Portland area, the nursery country and the dominant uh, location for nursery production in North America. Joe is a, is a major, major expert in his field and getting to learn more about Joe's transition from bonsai into his professional career and the impact, the, the significance of Isley's and what Joe's done there. Fascinating, fascinating exploration uh, of this continuing story. Again, really appreciate Joe being so open and honest and wanting to talk about it. And, um, you know, these podcasts and discussion with Joe were super meaningful uh, to me personally because I think he and I share a lot of similar experiences. So, anyways, Joe Harris part two, enjoy. I think it's hard for people to wrap their mind around how fast things changed in Japan. Yes. <clears throat> because you had essentially a society that was minimally open, had a very feudalistic samurai culture, daimyos, shogunats, uh, warlords, mm. you know, and then all of a sudden, within a span of 30 or 40 years, you have a massive world war and suddenly the gates, the floodgates are open to the international world coming in and it's just, it was just, I, I can only imagine <laughs> it was a rapid change. And then you have industrialization post-World War II more or less. Uh, and the international wealth that Japan experienced as an influx in their economy and society created this, this hierarchy in society and this abundance of, of free money flowing through the economy that what we know of as modern bonsai in the world today is, was really birthed in the bubble era. Yes, where yeah, really. where suddenly yes, bonsai took on, like you said, it was it was hard to get a cultural visa to study bonsai. That's not how it was viewed, and then the value of bonsai skyrocketed, and really, you know, and and when you were there, you saw Omiya Bonsai Village at its peak. I'm assuming, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. the, what they're saying era of million dollar trays, and you know, it's. At a point where a million dollars is worth a lot more than a million dollars today, right, right? Right. Yeah. And you're seeing hundreds of bonsai nurseries. Yeah. I mean, that's really. Do, what's it been like to see the bonsai world change after that? Because you saw Japan in this moment. You said Mr. Hashimoto would not take you back to the Kanuma Shizim bonsai Cohen, right? Yeah. Because it had changed and been disbanded and it was not what you remembered and he wanted you to hold that memory but i'm thinking like man joe what was it like to go back to japan and see omiya be four or five nurseries now right it it you know when hashimoto's son uh took me around he helped i, I went when i came to isley we were importing trees rough stock and in good trees too 
from Japan and Hashimoto-san took me around and he showed me where he studied. It was an apartment building. Mm. You know, the nursery was, you know, it was all apartment blocks. Right. Um, and yeah, it, a big change. Um, you know, I, when I was there, you know, we would go to, uh, you know, we went to, uh, Fujimoto-san's nursery, um, don't remember his given name, um, but where Ebihata-san apprenticed, mm. and he had a, a large nose, a great guy, um, and he was he was very old school. But I remember I walked through, and there were two uday pots, nothing in them, on the bench, and the person I was with pointed to him. And he pointed to one and said, this is a house and this is two Mercedes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that puts things in perspective. Um, and, you know, at the park, you know, we had, of course, the bonsai, but we also had, um, you know, alpine wildflowers. We had a orchid show little they're called Uchiran and they grow in rock crevices in the mountains they collect a lot in fukushima and they're little bulbs and they have a small little flower and the flower coloration the natural ones that have um mutate mutations with different colors are very valuable and i saw a man take off a gold rolex to trade for a bulb one time without seeing the flower. Wow. And it, you know, it's like, this is interesting. <laughs> um, and just, it, it was an amazing amount of money yeah. changing hands. Um, but it was, you know, it was sad to see going back after I had landed at Isley and we started Matsunami Inn you know, the prices were good, which, you know, that was, I was happy to see that the prices weren't as high as when I last was there, but, yeah. uh, it, it was sad to see how difficult it was, especially, um, you know, my teacher, you know, uh, struggling, um, I don't think he ever really struggled that much, but he, he, you. It was hard, you know, very hard to see. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the Bonsai Park, um, I'm glad I didn't see it. I, I have to admit, I looked at Google Earth, um, and it, I shouldn't have. <laughs> uh, he really was looking out for you when he wouldn't take you there. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and uh, I did... I realized early on that Hashimoto-san had actually, um, I'd seen his work and he inspired me a little bit in Bonesaw Techniques for Sasuke, which is a book that uh, John Naka and Richard Oda with Kinko Rokaku had done. Um, he had done all the wiring in the book. He had taken 
uncoated aluminum so you could see mm-hmm. and he had uh, done all the all the wiring for the book and so that was uh i'd seen his work long before um and of course these were young trees and he was just showing um you know what could be done uh you know from a young from a young age wow and it went into a lot of how to propagate um satsuki for bonsai which you know that was you have to take new wood cuttings you have to grow a whip to work on um so it was uh you know it was kind of fun wow very very uh similar to bonsai techniques one and two the style and the print yes. and the yes yeah you can see john naka's influence whether that was john naka's influence or whether that was the style of the time but yeah so seeing this and then going there and recognizing that you were learning from the person who had applied this wire was really something yeah yeah so cool man it goes very very deep joe yeah it in the satsuki you know not only was <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, and I, and I, I say this in hindsight, it was great to learn to wire on, um, but also grew relatively fast compared to a conifer. So you you took the wire off. You you got to see things even in the short four year period. Um, you got to see how things developed, mm-hmm. and that that was also good. Uh, part of learning uh, a lot of the wiring on Satsuki. Um, yeah, I did get to wire pine, and uh, but um, you know, for Kehoe for the basic skills, it was great. So when you when you went up to Mister Kamura at the Green Club during this antique Chinese container ex- uh, exhibition or sale. And you introduced yourself. Do you think that he considered you lineage of the Hamano family through the trickle down of Hoshisue? Oh, I don't. I don't think at the time he knew. He didn't know. No, he didn't. He didn't know. Okay. And uh, I don't think he really remembered. You know, we were there when I was uh, critiquing his tree. you know, he 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 had trouble remembering Jason because I mean this was long ago and they had moved to Fukuya, um, but um, and then Mr. Kasugi was talking and I was like, well, he married Mono's sister, so you know, but he we didn't get to that point. But uh-huh. um, when he came to Memphis in '92, you know, I, I talked to him more. Uh-huh. Um, Bro, you you guys realized the connection. Um, yeah, he was, um, it was kind of a, you know, probably shouldn't go into it, but it was a story. Um, when he came to Memphis in 92 for the International Bonesaw Convention, um, IBC, uh, it was a, you know, it's a coup to get him. And we had um, Brussels, and along with the Memphis Bonesaw Society, were doing a lot of work. I was involved in the display and we had models set up. It was, you know, we (laughs) went all out for it. And, um, 
a week or a couple of weeks before the convention, I had flown to Gross Point, Michigan, to work on a customer's a client of mine's Black Pine. It's a big Miyajima. It, you know, it's big. It's fairly fair trade, but it needed a lot of work and mm. big branches that we had to, you know, did saw cuts to pull things down. It was a lot, big, big work. It took a week to work to finish because of the size. And it was, you know, it's all wired out. And the client said, well, I'm going to take this to Memphis. And I said, no, you're not. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, um, it's like, you don't even have a table. And so he bought a big cheetah. And so we were, we were, I was helping Bruss set up the vendor area and I walked in the hall and saw Mr. Kimura just came in and he was walking out of the display. And, um, so I went up and, and said, hello. And, um, he had, I just drew a blank. He had a friend of his that came to help. Maybe it'll come to me in a minute or so. Mm. But he walked out and uh, or we walked in the hall and he uh, he said, did you, you know, Goyo Matsu, you, you, you liar? And I'm like, what, Goyo? What are you talking about? And I didn't know it was in there. Uh huh. You didn't know the client had brought it. Yeah. And so, but he, he didn't even know I did it. He just, just like, this is you. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and he saw, no, no, no. And he turned to his friend, you know, key day, key day, you know, it's very clean, you know? And, um, and, uh, he said, you should have stayed in Japan and worked. Hmm. And that was, other than I think one thing Hashimoto-san said to me, a couple of, maybe two things, it was the most important, you know, compliment I ever got. Mm -hmm. um, but he, then he asked me to help him, help him and his, his friend and wire in the demonstration the next day, which caused a big scene because John Naka had, had somebody huh. lined up for it. Um, but I got to assist in the demonstration, which was great. And he, you know, said, said a couple of nice things, which was, um, helped, helped a lot, Jeez. but, uh, I'll never, you know, forget to, it's like you're pine and I've got the, uh, video cassettes under, you know, the un, unedited video cassettes of the demonstration. And uh, I showed him to Hashimoto-san when he was here. And he said, well, he, you know, he, he saw the work and he said, Toju in technique. And he probably uh -huh. saw that. So that, I think there was a connection. At least Hashimoto-san made the connection. Right. To yeah. So, that is so know, wild. Yeah. That, was, that is was wild. Cool. Unbelievable. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, but he was always not, and just gotten married, um, to Claire and he, he gave her a nice Hermes scarf and, you know, just really great guy yeah. in Memphis. So, um, treated me really well, even, even after my, 
flower arranging, bone saw arranging uh, critique. Yeah, the Memphis, you know, his first trip to the United States in Anaheim was like a pretty, apparently a pretty game-changing <sighs> event in North American bonsai, but Memphis as well is referred to a lot as far as Mr. Kimura's influence on North American bonsai. That was a real bombshell, that, that event. I didn't realize that you were so closely involved with all of that. That was, uh, I'd been back when I initially came back from Japan, I had an opportunity in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, a gentleman who had come to the park several times had asked me, you know, when I got back to give him a call and see if we could work something out. And, uh, and things didn't work out, you know, as planned. And um, I accepted the job at Brussels um, knowing that I would be prorating salary. I would be out on the road, maybe six, even six months a year, mm -hmm. you know, doing demonstrations and private work. Um, so I was really lucky to, to have that base at Brussels. Yeah. And so that, you know, so I got involved with the convention mm -hmm. through, through Bruss. Now, what was, what was the state of bonsai in the United States or, you know, regionally in the Southeastern United States? whatever your awareness was, what was the state of bonsai before you went to Japan? And then what was it when you came back from Japan? Had it changed much? I don't think it changed a great deal. I think the quality of the material that was available maybe was on a higher level. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, when I came back, and I'm sure, you know, you, you have your own take on this. I was, it was culture shock. Yeah. You know, going to Japan, I thought I was on a different planet and, you know, I was there. Everything was great. When I came back, it was, uh, it hit me really hard. Um you know, I'd, I'd slept 50 feet from Ishonomatsu for four years, and, you know, now I'm, you know, where, where are my trees? Yeah. You know, we're in the level that was available was, you know, not, not available. Mm -hmm. um, or the level, you know, the quality that I was accustomed to wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really hard and, you know, the helping manage the, the people at Brussels, Brussels was, it was hard because, um, I wasn't very nice. You know, I was pretty, pretty rough and, you know, Brussels pulled me aside and, you know, it's like, you know, these people make so much an hour, you know, you got you give them a break. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, no nonsense. You have to do this. And, um, you know, I could climb a phone pole and, you know, yeah. it, it was, um, uh, it was really, really hard coming back. Um, I had my own language, um, half Japanese, half, uh, 
nonsensical English. Uh, people didn't understand what I was yelling at them about and, yeah. you know, thought I was nuts. <laughs> Probably justification. Um, so speech therapy, um, Dale Carnegie, Toastmasters, you know, and I got a lot of support from Brussels and his, you know, Bryce and his partner. And, um, you know, it took a long time, though. Um, I'm still, I, I still see a lot of Hashimoto's son in me as far as, um, how I look at things and how I behave and maybe not for the best, but yeah, just how it is. Um, but it, you know, I wouldn't, I, 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 I'm not wouldn't physically be able to to do it again, but I would I would I would do it. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Um, so much of what you're saying is resonating very strongly with me. Uh, the New Yorker article was the New Yorker article was uh, was tough for me to read. You know, there's like things that happen in your apprenticeship that are in the context, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're working with, uh, generations that are one or two generations removed from samurai. There's a, there's a reason that Japanese bonsai is so good. You know, there's a reason Mr. Kimura has been successful. There's a methodology, there's a madness, there's a culture in which it applies. And, you, you know, you talk about it outside of that culture and context, and it seems crazy, feudalistic, Depending on who hears it, maybe it's conveyed as abusive, but just the same as you sitting here saying, look, maybe physically I couldn't do it again, but I would do it again. I, I Knowing what I know, I couldn't go back and do my apprenticeship from the beginning with the foreknowledge of what it would be, but I would never take it back and I would always do it again if I could. You know, but it's like why, knowing all of that, and 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 trying to convey that to a culture in the west that doesn't have any comprehension of the depth of the relationship that forms there i am constantly shocked at how deep that experience penetrated and impacted me because it's not a bulk of my life but it certainly was the most intense the, that was the most intense time in my life spent with the most intense person i could have spent it with uh you know, Hashimoto-san, you found, however you interacted with him, you figured out a way to be there for four years. You know, I figured out a way to be with Mr. Kimura for six years. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we liked it. It wasn't fun, but it was powerful and it was transformative and it was uh, net positive, obviously. But hearing that you came back with some battle wounds as well, actually sort of normalizes a little bit for me my experience because yeah I came back and I was really tough to be around and I was lost in this middle ground of Japan and the United States and English and Japanese and a way of teaching that was unaccepting of anything but perfection and even then it wasn't acknowledged and it's just like that kind of molding and sculpting sort of overrode a lot of what a bulk majority of my life had cultivated with my you know parents and the culture that I came from it's like 
that transformation was stark and it was it was it was uh dramatic and I just, I'm just curious if you have any insight over the years of thinking about it, why that left such an imprint or why it does leave such an imprint. Yeah. The, <clears throat> the, when I read the article, the New Yorker article, you know, it, it brought back some pretty unpleasant memories that I had balled up and put in the back of my mind. And, uh, you know, kind of raw going back and, and revisiting. Um, and, you know, I know how hard it must have been to do that oracle. And um, it, I think when I look back on it, you know, thinking I was going to Bonesaw College and... and <laughs> And realizing it was a, a, a fetalistic servitude, yeah. um, and having to, and you know, and I'm, I'm really surprised myself in that I made the decision to 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 stay, to do it, to to put up with what was very difficult, and not only you know Hashimoto son, he was you know I. I got to a point where I knew what the grunts meant, I, you know, yeah. and, but, you know, Mr. Okaku was the wild card because he could tell me something that directly went against Hashimoto and I'm stuck in the middle uh -huh. and you can't go to either one of them to, to for a solution. Right. And, um, it's, so it it was it it you know it's it is hard to to tell people to make people understand how difficult because you know you touched on it in the article that there's not a lot of disciplines maybe sumo wrestling and you know kabuki theater that type of maybe they have that same structure and of course some martial arts but maybe not as is is uh strict um there's not a lot of of people that are willing to do it now right especially you know even when i was there you know like well, I, I guess people were still being turned away but um you know it's hard for people to 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 really wrap their head around what what actually you had to give up mm -hmm. to do it. Um, I think it changed me for the better. You know, bonsai is a lifestyle. Um, you know, not only your technique or how you take care of trees, but how you act, how you're expected to behave um, in society, mm. not to, you know, be disrespectful um you know I'd, it helped me as a person um but it was a challenge uh i remember mr okaku his uh his 
favorite phrase was don't know. And don't know meant don't do this. <laughs> so you don't know this. It means you better not do this. Uh-huh. And I remember he told me, you know, I think probably after I was called a thief. And uh, it's like, you don't know. You know the, you have this as well. You uh, don't know drink, don't know smoke, don't know friend make. Bonsai Dake, you know, Bonsai only. Right. And he loved saying that. And especially when I was, you know, because he, he loved the fishing pond. So he was there every Sunday, you know, and I was skewering, and I was handing him, <laughs> you know, a dozen skewered fish to put on the fire. He loved it. Um, but it was, uh, you know, he he was in the Satsuki world, a very important person mm-hmm. with the, um, the magazine, the di- director, the dictionaries, the reference books. Um, and, you know, it's very important person in my life. Uh, but he was, uh, as difficult to deal with as anybody, you know, and, um, he always wanted the best for me, but he was really, really strict. Yeah. Um, I would follow him around in the morning, walk around the park to look at the, the trees, and he would be taking pictures with his, you know, five, $6,000 cameras, and I'd be loading film for him, and, you know, before he needed it, mm-hmm. would be there. Um, so I've got, you know, not only Hashimoto son, I had, Mr. Rokaku as well. And I, I lived at the park. Um, Mr. Rokaku had a house um, off the office complex overlooking the park. And I had his old room, uh, which I really lucked out. Uh, I had his uh, apartment that they built while they were making the house. So I got to live in that um, after Russell left. <laughs> Before Russell left, I was on the second floor of a... Um, prefabricated metal shed across the street and the bottom part was the bus driver's lounge. Ah, so an uh, upgrade. Yeah. A lot of cigarette smoke and right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I had, you know, went from that to, you know, a room with, uh, Nico, Nico Naomiki Sugi panels in the ceiling and, ah. you know, it was, yeah. So I, I had a Hinoki bathtub. It was great. Oh my gosh. Um, but you know, you don't get to enjoy it as much when you're, you know, um, dusted on. But you know, a couple of days a month, maybe if it rained, uh, you got to you got to you, you, you got to stay inside. Got and enjoy to stay yourself. inside and in and wash clothes. Did uh, did so when you came back and you were and you were sort of caught in between the worlds uh that that sort of never it seems like that sort of never stops uh at least for 13 years it hasn't really stopped for me but um how did you progress through that and get to a point or did you progress through that and get to a point where you felt comfortable or did you ever think maybe i should go back 
It's an interesting question. Um, might be long-winded, but it, it, it brings something up. When I came back, <clears throat> you know, I would be asked to go and do demonstrations and, and for local bonsai societies, groups. And the, the, demo, the workshops, you know, I would go in and I would always try to make sure that I sold them the trees to work on in Brussels. You know, we had an agreement with that. So I'd know what I would to expect when I got there. But a lot of the, when I came back in, you know, 90, a lot of, you know, the folks have been doing things, certain things for 30, 40 years that weren't the way to do it. And I had to figure out how to tell them this. And, you know, this person told me, what are you, who are you? You know, you know, I, I pinch my junipers, you know, to keep them thick. And it's like, well, no, you need to clean the old foliage out to let light in for new buds to be able to take things back to keep in scale. And it, it was, that was the hardest, um, the hardest thing I ran into mm. um, was figuring out a way to um, explain things that made sense without being disrespectful, not only to them, but to the people who got them involved in Bonesaw, because those are important people. Um, it was, that was the, hard, the, the hardest thing I, I had to deal with when I came back, other than the culture shock of, you know, Where's my Shonamatsu, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. The simplicity of, yeah. of that life as an apprentice. Yeah. yeah. Um, the challenge of coming back and being stuck between two worlds, did you ever think about going back to Japan? Did it ever seem like that was maybe your place after that experience? You know, when, by the time the... Memphis Convention in 92 rolled around. I'd been on the road um, for a couple of years. I'd actually come to Isley and and uh, found out what Daya Bonsai meant. Um, but I think when Mr. Kimura made the comment that I should have stayed in Japan, um, you know, I'd... I'd to, to go in depth on that a little bit, I actually, you know, I'd just gotten married. My wife, Claire, and I actually talked about it and were seriously considering going back to Japan. Um, we had gone to, to actually see about the restrictions on bringing our dog. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Um so um i almost did okay um and i would have had a support network that would have i think allowed me to to do it it's probably a regret 
Wow. Because if, you know, I knew, I knew when I, you know, the few days, first few days I was at the Bonesaw Park, maybe even before I left, that if I wanted to do Bonesaw professionally, this is what I needed to do. This is what I had to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any idea what I was getting into. Yeah. Um, but I, there was no way I would ever learn or have the exposure to what I did uh, anywhere else. And after coming back and missing the material a lot, um, it, it, I almost did it mm -hmm. in 92. Mm -hmm. What stopped you? It was, it, there was a lot of complications, you know, um, you know, family, um, family work, um, or Kali, um, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was talking to the, the consulate in New Orleans with, you know, questions and, you know, where I was finding out what was what I was what what I would have to do. Yeah. Um and the you know, the visa and the work, you know, it was it was complicated. Sure. But so so you stayed um and more or less for one reason or another had to make the best of things. Okay. All right. And you know, I got to go to Japan with Brussels, we got started. I mean, we brought back really good material. Um, we had, and he still has the rendezvous Memorial Day weekend, a big, big uh, shindig. And Hashimoto's son came over one year for it. Nice. Um, so we, you know, we had, we brought in some material I got to work on. Um, and so that, you know, it was, it, it got better. Uh -huh. Um, you know, the building up a, a, a clientele that I could do private work on, um, you know, that helped a lot. Um, you know, it could help and, you know, my sanity sure. yeah. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, and I was again, really fortunate that Russ let me, um, you know, do this, you know, take off to do that. Um, you know, of course there were certain times that I needed to be there, but, um, uh, so, you know, I'd worked for Russ, um, for just a few months and we went and got a booth at the American Nurseman's Association or at least at the time, it's the um, that was their name. And the Tennessee Nurserymen's Association had a convention in Nashville, and we had a booth there um, to market to the independent garden centers for the smaller uh, material. And I had taken a tosha or needle juniper uh, to work on in the booth to wire out, 
And Andre Isley was there, of course, Isley Nursery had a booth. And Mr. Isley um, parked himself in a in another booth a few few booths down from us, and watched me do work on the on the tree. And <clears throat> he didn't come over. He didn't say anything, um, but he did come over and look at it later. Russ said, and a couple of weeks later, Andre called Brussel to see if he would allow me to come out to work on his bonsai collection. Hmm. And Bruss said, sure. You know, Brussel had only, he, we had purchased, he had been dealing with Isley. Um, he had known Andre's brother, John, who uh, started the nursery uh, back in the 70s. And he had corresponded with John, but we really hadn't bought anything. We got a lot of material from John Mitch and, um, you know, some other Oregon, Oregon nurseries. Um, so, um, Andre sent me a letter and, um, you know, before I knew it, I was out here, I think it was June of 1990 and I had my tools and I had a, a crate of wire, you know, ready to work on Mr. Isley's tree trees. <clears throat> and dia bones, uh, apparently means giant knee in a box. <laughs> There are some terms that we use for trees here that um, are hard to decipher sometimes. Um, and there were, he had purchased a collection. It was over 30 trees from a, um, a Japanese gardener in California. Mm-hmm. And these were in anywhere from 24 inch boxes to 48 inch box cedar boxes. You know, some I needed a 16 foot ladder to work on. So, you know, I looked at them and it's like, Oh, this is interesting. Um, where are the bones are? (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, um, I, I use Masakuni has a butterfly shear. It's a, they call it number one. And I use it for small wire, you know, 0.9, 1.2, 1.5, um, you know, because it's quick. So I had, I had, you know, a pair of scissors and I got a saw and a 12-foot ladder, pole ladder, and I went to work. And uh, stayed at a hotel in Gresham and, uh, you know, I had the restaurant, you know, build the hotel. Everything was taken care of and I had a, they gave me a truck. So, um, for the next week or so, I got through about, I think about 20 of the trees and they hadn't been worked on in, um, oh, probably eight years. Mm -hmm. So they were dirty. Uh And so my big deal was getting back to uh, a structure, but, still be on on stage you know um so i you know although we had um uh garden trees at the park and we had a a insanely great uh japanese gardener i'd really never worked on 
uh, garden trays like this, you know, but I, you know, it, it wasn't hard to figure out. Right. You know, I had to, I had to, to I, I knew what to do and what not to cut. Um, and before I left, I was booked for the following year. Um, and our general manager at the time, Greg Pilcher, he, um, he was wondering who I was and what I was here doing. You know, you know, Andre's, these were his personal, in his personal control. He wouldn't let anybody touch them. Mm-hmm. So he brought me in to, to work on them. So, um, I won over, it eventually won over Greg and, uh, I did, I came out every year for six years. Wow. And, um, in the spring of 1996, Greg called me and said, you know, Andre says you're you know, too loyal to Brussels. You'll never come. And, but we want you to come out to Isley. And, um, which was, you know, out of the blue, but, um, it got my attention and they offered to let me set up a bonesaw division. They needed some assistance in dealing with sales to Japan, which fit in, um, because, you know, be importing rough stock and, and, some good trees to Japan. Um, and at the time, Brussel, Brussel and his partner were, uh, his partner wanted to sell his portion of the nursery. And that was being, that was in process in progress. So, uh, it was a hard decision, but, uh, that's how I ended up at Isley. And, um, we started Matsunami in Pine Waves in, um, and you know I, I, the name. Of course, it's a, a name of a satsuki. Actually, my favorite satsuki, <laughs> there it is. Matsunami. But it really, if you look, you know, the Oregon coast with the heavy surf and the waves and the pines on the on the hill, and it, you know, Pine Waves. It, Hashimoto son didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I went to Chikafu Inn and Sudo looked at my card and where'd this come from? And and I explained it. And he he thought maybe a little better of it. Uh, but um I gotta tell you, I like it that much more now that you just broke it down for me. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um but um uh, we were, I, we moved out in November of 1996. We had got on the Oregon trail. Um, and of course we took the Southern route and it was, uh, accidents and it was, it was the, it was really, uh, it was really an Oregon trail for us. <laughs> um, but I got here, we got here and it was raining and the house, um, that the nursery was providing us was not ready. Um, and we went into, um, another, uh, other housing and 
my wife was, you know, it was, uh, it was tough. And, you know, two weeks later I left for Japan. Oh, geez. And it was still raining. Oh, geez. And it was raining when I got back. It hadn't stopped. <laughs> and it was, it wasn't as bad as the spring of 96, but it hadn't stopped. And I don't think it stopped that rest of the year. Jeez. Um, but I, when I got to Japan, um, you know, I was dealing with brokers I'd known for a long time and dealt with before and really got some good material to, to get started. Um, I really focused on rough stock that I could bring in and work on and refine to sell. Um, but you know, to pay the bills, we, we got a lot of, um, smaller material. My target was really, you know, 300 to 500, you know, and then that middle range, eight to a thousand and up, um, you know, a good, good quality to work on. Um, and it wasn't a, a lot of, it, it, there wasn't a lot available in the U S at the time. And, and really could be said there still isn't. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, at the height, you know, we had thousands of trees, you know, we were bringing in, um, some fairly good quality, you know, nothing, you know, nothing Kokafu. Sakafu, though, I had uh, a storia that was in Sakafu. Nice. Um, but, um, you know, so we, we had a, a good level, you know, really my love, even though Goyamatsu is bonsai, um, I've always loved Deciduous, um, you know, from the time I saw the first Chinese elm at Brussels in the back patio when I was a kid, you know, I fell in love with, you know, the, the deciduous trees. So I've, I've always kind of leaned towards, uh, deciduous. Um, and that's a lot of what we, the, the good trees we brought in were, mm-hmm. um, and mainly because we did have to bear root. Mm-hmm. and older conifers they can't take it especially you know old old five needle are very difficult especially in oregon you know in 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 tennessee you know we would have you know maybe 10 percent loss and here it was significantly higher and why it, is that i think the long dark cold winters you know it, it the, just it's the darkness too. yeah it's yeah. actually a relief to hear you say yeah. that that it's oregon's challenging it is it's challenging you can grow things here you cannot you can't grow anywhere else but it, it there are certain things especially in the bonesaw world that are very difficult um you know the temper temperature differential you know day and night you know the conifer while we can grow conifers while the maples don't stop and they, we get so much growth out of the maples per, per growing season. Um, but the winters are tough and maybe 25 years ago, (laughs) it's hard to say. Um, maybe they were a little darker. Uh You know, I, I remember when I came here, people were, 
buying lights to put in their houses. Yeah, you know, that hasn't for, stopped. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was a challenge. You know, the soil mix um, that we were using, you know, they our, our soil and water management division helped me put together a, a mix bark based for the younger trees <clears throat> but until i got the container of uh premix um you know akadama mix in um that was a challenge as well mm-hmm. um getting a good uh, a good soil um to reestablish bare root trees um so we had to be very careful um you know, the Miyajima, you know, grafted Miyajimas were, you know, didn't skip a beat, but the, the parviflora on their roots were very difficult. Yeah. Um, Is that why, do you think that's one of the reasons why so many of the Miyajima came over was just because they had a higher success rate in that difficult transport? I think a, a reason a lot of them made it. Uh-huh. Um, I think... Um, you know the production, especially Takamatsu, that that area where a lot of them came from. Um, you know that's that was their niche. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had and you know grafted trees. That's a whole subject, but you know having the lower trunk, um, you know, up to the first branch with the uh, black pine, uh, the deeply fissured bark, and then the great foliage of the parviflora. Even Miyajima's a little blue for me, but it's a really uniform needle, you know, cur- recurved. And um, uh, But I think, you know, just the availability of the product, but um, they're really hardy, mm-hmm. you know, the, with the black pine rootstock. Yeah, yeah, they're strong. They're very, very strong. I actually... You know, every once in a while, a Miyajima will sort of be brought to Mirai, whether it surfaces, we find it, it's, you know, whatever. And and it's always such a, it's always such a walk down memory lane to work on one, you know, and it's, a, and there's, and it's a happy memory. It's like a positive, very positive association that I have with Miyajima white pine. And uh, there were a few spectacular world-class Miyajima white pine, which I would say are far and few between yes, to yes, find I a world-class Miyajima white pine, but they do exist. Yeah, that came through Mr. Kimura's uh, during my apprenticeship there, and it just helped me see that there is like a an upper level to that otherwise very commercially known oddity, yeah. right? Yeah, with the <clears throat> you know the great tree and then the uh, pool cue right. branch, <laughs> the pool cue, like... the straight <laughs> branch. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's brittle as hell. Yes. Um, yeah, we. We would do, we would actually do multiple saw cuts underneath to to give them, you know. To be, anyway, that's a long story, but um, another story. But um, yeah, Miyajimas were uh, uh, they finished very well. The yeah. needles were, you know, they they the pads, the branching, they, they finished really really well. Um, but. Um, you know, with Matsunami in, um, we had our uh, symposium every year. We would uh, bring in, you know, trees specifically for workshops and and try to give great value 
to it to get you know to bring in uh, customers and to you know expose people to to better quality stock. Mm-hmm. Um, the importation um, got very difficult in the early two thousands mm-hmm. uh, because of uh, an insect pest that. Uh, prompted emergency action from the USDA uh, and oh, in a nutshell trees that were slated to be imported into the United States had to be held in a certified greenhouse in the com- country of origin for two years prior to, to uh being imported yeah um and although our my japanese vendors were as they held out their hand asking what kind of house would i like them to make for me um it was you know the the dealing with the regulatory not only with the federal uh, with USDA APHIS, PPQ, but also with Oregon Department of Agriculture, which was not very keen on the idea, but they had pretty much told Isley we could do it. Um, after uh, we convinced USDA that we could build the house here, Mm-hmm. to keep keep them in post-entry quarantine for two years under customs bond and that it would be you know we could mitigate the risk and 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 uh they did sign off on that um we had some retirement a retirement here at isley which opened up a production division to manage and that was offered to me and um it's probably the hardest decision I've, I've made in my professional career uh was to um you know switch switch careers right you know similar but much different yeah um you know, we still had a lot of trees, and so it wasn't an immediate, you know, just everything stopped. We wound down the division, um, but it was hard. Yeah. Um, well, you can imagine. it. Um, fortunately, um, I was approached in the late 90s to start a study group um, to do uh, a once a month, most of the year, you know, we take the summer off, um, a study group, uh, that's still going on. Um, so I've always kept my hand in bonsai, especially teaching basic, you know, which keeps you on your toes. Right. Um, but I still have a few of my own trees. You know, I traded a lot, I traded up. So, you know, kind of, called the called the herd and traded up and have only a few trees but something you know that i like um 
and then you know i have some retirement projects you know seedling stuff that i've have grown for a number of years um but i did uh, i did step back from teaching and and running a bonsai nursery mm. and to uh growing what i you know can say are the finest japanese maples in the marketplace so that feels undeniable after after seeing them not only today but last time and then coming back and seeing them the maples that you guys are growing here are phenomenal i mean absolutely phenomenal i i i want to go back though because when matsunami in lifted off the ground you were the master of your own destiny going to Japan and sourcing the material. Did you feel like that was a moment where you were able to make your bonsai world and lifestyle what you had always wanted it to be? Was it that kind of a moment for you? It really was. Um, I mean, to, to, to an extent. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was all on me. Um, uh, the good and the bad for the better or worse, yeah. better or worse, <laughs> you know, I, um, my senior was a farm credit banker, you know, started off and with a very sharp pencil. So I had to, uh, I had to stay on my toes. Uh -huh. Um, but I was able to, uh, source material that, I felt comfortable with that, um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ego uh, ego aside. You know, there's just a certain level of tree that I want to, you know, to work on, and um, I was able to to get that back, mm. and that was nice. Was that um, invigorating? Oh yeah, really? Yeah, despite yeah. the rain, despite the rain, <laughs> and um, all of the. In the in horticultural the, anomalies yeah, of the Pacific Northwest yeah, from 30, Tennessee, 30, from 40 Memphis. days a year, I get to see Mount Hood. You yeah. know, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> right. They say it's beautiful. Yeah, they, they say it's beautiful. <laughs> um, but yes, it, it's, it's been a, a long road. Um, I've been at Isley uh, uh, just a little over 26 years now. And, um, you know, Japan's like yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that'll ever change. Right. Um, does it feel like the same life or does it feel like a different life? How so? All right. Japan or? Yeah, Japan. It feels like a different life to me. That That's why I ask it. It's for my own personal yeah, curiosity. Um, You know, I have to say, it's part of me. Um, maybe more so than it should be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little hard on the edge. You know, rough on the edges. Um, um, but again. Yeah, made me what I am today. So, wouldn't take it back. Yeah, wouldn't take it back. You think? You think looking back on 
the narrative arc of sort of, you know, where this all started and where this has all gone. Do you think over the course of that narrative, the experience in Japan has has made you a harder individual for people to understand? Yeah. 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 I think so. I mean, it's it's hard for people to to wrap their head around what we went through. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it. Um, uh, you know, on the surface, you know, it looks so. You went, you know, this is great. You you studied that, but it, it's uh, yeah, yeah. So even now, as you continue teaching, you still love bonsai as much as you ever have. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a lifestyle. I mean, I, it, you know, it, it goes, you know, even sweeping, you know, cleaning up, you know, taking wire off. I mean, everything, you know, it, even cutting the grass and making sure that everything's clean and neat and, you know, it's all goes back to, yeah, you know, yeah. it all goes back to the workshop. It was what was so cool about seeing the big maples is is you can see, and I know you're not the one that's out there pruning every single one of those no, maples. I've, but I've got some of the best best crew in the nursery business. Uh, but it's like when we're standing out here looking at this grand expanse that is Isley, and you recognize that it an operation does not carry, and I shared my experience of, Isley material when I worked in a landscape nursery in high school. And it was like, when you open the doors to an Isley truck of, of material, it was a different experience. It was a higher level of, of, uh, application, care, consideration. Uh, and you know, as, as you treated us to the tour today, <clears throat> you know, you look across that and you say, well, a place doesn't look like this unless every single tier of the individuals working here care and are focused on this. And then you take your, your tremendous contribution to Isley, which is the expertise from all of these years of really a lot of sacrifice and toil and internal turmoil. And you see these incredible sophisticated maples at the peak of their possible potential and even if you're not the one pruning it now, you built the entire tier and the trickle down system that has actualized that kind of beauty. It's like really impressive, Joe. It's really impressive. Well, you know, our tagline is beauty. Is of that nature. the tagline? Yeah. Where oh. the beauty of nature meets the artistry. Where the beauty of nature meets the artistry of man. Yeah. Where's the damn catalog? Oh, you know what happened is we 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 went for such a long walk down memory lane. It's like no, we 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 opened up some paths that yeah. Apparently, it's not an important tagline anymore. Oh where yeah, the, where the beauty of nature meets the artistry of man. Huh. In twelve months of color, which never understood but yeah I, I think they should have just stuck with that yeah well 12 months of color was our uh marketing for 
you know, the colorful conifers, the yellow. Yeah. The green, yeah. The, but yeah. How much longer do you think you're going to be at this? How much longer do you think you'll be, you'll be applying your expertise at Isley? Is it something that you foresee for decades to come or I, you know, I mean, I, how, how do you even make that decision? Yeah, that's a, that's a hard, hard call. You know, I want, I'm going to keep going, uh, on this, uh, you know, we, we're making plans for the future, mm-hmm. Claire and I, and, you know, eventually we'll, um, be back in Tennessee, but I think, uh, you know, I, I am leaning more in back in the bonesaw world than I was even five years ago. And I'm trying to get a little more involved. You know, I've been a member of the Nippon Bonesaw Association forever. And, you know, I get the monthly magazine and the Kokafu book and, you know, Kokafu uh, 10 book. And, you know, so I'd, I'm, uh, you know, I devour the bonesaw shinju every month. And, uh-huh. and so I've, I've, you know, started, um, thinking a lot more about it. Um, you know, I've, when, you know, I, I switched careers as I was getting, you know, where you are now and in, in the peak and I've, you know, I've lost so much, you know, it's in, you know, I can't even begin to calculate, you know, what I've could have done in developing technique and, um, and seeing, you know, what, seeing things grow and develop, um, I missed a lot. I, and I knew what I was giving up. Um, but I've had a great career here. Um, it's just different. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll finish off in Bonesaw. I know that. <laughs> it's never left me, but, you know, I mean, a lot of people think, think it has, but, you know, again, you know, it's where the beauty of nature meets the artistry of man. Yeah. The beauty of it, too, is, uh, you know, it ultimately comes down to what you decide to do with it, you know. So uh, that's really, I got to tell you, that's really exciting for me because I would love to see Joe Harris. Uh, empty the tank on bonsai again that that could that could really be something i think um you know the 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 decisions that you made and the career that you've led uh everywhere that you've gone has created something incredibly beautiful so if there's another leg of that journey that refocuses your energy on bonsai i have no doubt it's going to be spectacular yeah you know to whatever degree you want it to be yeah. I think uh one of my you know, I'm a, I'm a curious guy and I've I've have a, I have too many interests and uh you know in, in my what little free time I have. Uh-huh. Um and uh you know I need to I've started to refocus and mm-hmm. you know and and uh do what do a little more of what I enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, that's the best way to, you know, if 
less years ahead of me than behind me. It's, uh, you know, makes you think a little bit about where you want to, where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't even talked about barbecue. I still got my cooker. (laughs) Um, A podcast for another time. Yeah, a podcast for another time, you know. Joe, thank you so much. Thanks for showing us around. Thanks for the hospitality. And but uh, you know, more than anything, thanks for thanks for sharing. Oh, it's been, you know, great to bring back some memories. Yeah, good and bad, but you know, it's nice to revisit. Yeah. And uh You're a pioneer. You're a pioneer, man. You're the pioneer. Ah, it's it's a pleasure. (laughs) It's a pleasure. You know, I I, it was all modeled for me already. So Uh, it, it made it it made the path a lot easier to find. But uh, when I, when I speak with individuals of your caliber and, and realize what you had to go through to sort of pave the way it, it uh, it's humbling because Mm -hmm. I I recognize I was able to do what I have done because other people blazed the trail before me. So thank you. Thank you.